With all that money on the line and people's lives at stake, Kevin Murphy makes his case for legal weed in America, a day he says is coming a lot sooner than you might think. I got to get this out of the way. Do you smoke weed yourself? <laughs> do you do quality control tests? How do you well, know this stuff is good? You know, I, 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 before getting involved with cannabis in 2011, I was a bit of a, uh, a naysayer and, and frankly was not an advocate for cannabis. Had you ever tried this um, stuff? You know, as a youngster a long, long time ago, but I can tell you as I've now discovered more about the plant and the healing capabilities of the plant, uh, I am actually a uh, cannabis user today. Um, I actually am more of a higher CBD, lower THC um, blend. Okay, so what um, form does that take? Well, it takes form in really more of the um, derivative products Never been a smoker, nor did I ever really care to uh, inhalate anything into my lungs, whether it's vaporizing or smoking cigarettes or cannabis for that matter. But now the sophistication around the plant and the development of new product offerings, tinctures, capsules, um, and we have found that anyone can really find any form of deliverable that works for them, whether you're uh, an autistic child, whether you're a, a, a parent with uh, Alzheimer's, um, we try to figure ways in which we can make it more bioavailable, more predictable, and really more consistent. That's the goal for us. There, there are a whole bunch of delivery ways. We're there is, about, right? from frankly, from vaporizers again to tinctures to capsules to um, chocolates to all sorts of deliverables. When did it occur to you that? This is the business for me. I mean, you're a financier, did real well in your own field. At what point did this cross your desk? Mm. Weed is for me. Weed is good. <laughs> Let's do this. How did that? How did that happen? Well, um, in, in, in to some degree, a serendipitous way. I had been a financier for most of my adult life. Was very fortunate to have had the opportunity to monetize on a firm and um, post that. Uh, 2007 2008 event I was then able to be a private investor it wasn't until 2011 that I was introduced to cannabis a very dear friend of mine uh, an NBA basketball player named Katino Mobley had introduced me to the space and asked me to participate with him in the state of Maine um, again when I had first learned about it was very skeptical mm -hmm. But one then I uh, participate sorry well, was that participate mean? In, as an investment in the state of Maine mm -hmm. Maine was the first state east of the Mississippi to really embrace cannabis from a medical standpoint. And at the time, I assessed the uh, perception of risk versus the actual risk, and it was quite vast. Not many people believed that cannabis should be legal, but the state of Maine believed that they wanted to offer it to their citizens. And so they were looking for people to participate in the program, and with that, we invested millions of dollars into uh, the first state east of the Mississippi and really created a robust medical cannabis program for that state. And from there, we moved throughout New England when other states came online and learned from Maine. And it really was uh, the start of something very special. But really the draw for me was not only the business opportunity, but I did learn from a number of doctors from Dartmouth College that this will change the way in which 
people view healthcare and wellness going forward. And I was convinced at that point that we could be um, a game changer as it relates to wellness and medicine on a go forward basis. And that's what really had prompted me to get in with both feet. But you walked in the door with skepticism. What was your mindset? Coutinho Mobley says, hey, I want you to check this out. You're thinking, I'll take a look probably and then I'll go on to what I was doing before probably, right? Exactly. I think I was more of a traditional investor in more hard assets, real estate, things of that nature. But when I learned about cannabis and I learned about the medicinal benefits coupled with the fact that uh, my friend Catino had already made an initial investment in the opportunity. And my view was I can come alongside of him, enhance that investment with more capital because he needed more capital. And I was able to, at that point, take the operation from really a brand new business to profitability in roughly 18 months. It was that extraordinary. Wow, what was Simple the... math, you can grow something for $400 a pound, right. you sell it for $400 an ounce, don't have to be a math guy to figure that out. Even I can get that. <laughs> That's pretty good. It was pretty good. So and what you were selling on the medical side primarily, or on the- Predominantly on the medical side. Some recreational, or? No, 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 at that point, it was only a, um, a medical program mm-hmm. um, in Maine, and one would have to go get a recommendation from their doctor and then come to our dispensaries. At the time, we owned four of the eight dispensaries in Maine, so we had a very good um, footprint in the state of Maine. At the time, it was really a a for-profit, non-profit structure. We were the for-profit supporting this non-profit that held the licenses and really bringing them support. Not everyone knows what a dispensary means. What does that mean? Well, a dispensary is just another word for the outlet for where cannabis is sold. A store. It's a store. So you had the grow operation, the dispensary, uh, and, and everything in between. So we were um, vertically integrated in the space. So we grew it, we processed it, and then we sold it in the dispensaries. Right. And so it was really from seed to dispensary was the business that we had invested in in the state of Maine. So that is 2011, 2012. Correct. Fast forward to today, the landscape has changed dramatically. It's it now has legal changed. in 11 states, including Illinois, like last week. That is correct. Or just, you know, the end of June. Um, Washington, D.C. Yes. That's for, um, for recreational use, mm-hmm. as, it's, as it's described. Yep. And then 33 states for medical use. That it's is legal. correct. I mean, what a, what a change. And your business has grown exponentially since then as well. It has. I think the old business principle applies here. Be early, be right. Do what everyone else is not doing and be right. And I think, again, 11, 12, 13, we weren't terribly popular. The only money spent at the time was really my family's capital. And really until 2014, 15, when we looked to raise outside capital. But I think that... A lot of people have learned from the states that have adhered to a medical program. Ultimately, some have transitioned to a recreational or adult use program. But every state has had the opportunity to do what they believe to be the right um, protocol for their state. Maine did a very, very nice job with it. And I think other states learn from that. And as people learn that this wasn't the scary cannabis reefer madness that we had known from years ago. Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong, (laughs) that it can be 
predictable, dosable, doesn't have to be smoked. And the game changer for me was when you see a seven-year-old child being rolled into a dispensary, having 70 seizures a day, wearing a hockey helmet, non-communicative, and we can treat that child with a high dose of CBD, low dose of THC. Three months later, that same child walks into your dispensary with no hockey helmet, having one or two seizures a month. There's nothing anecdotal about that story to the parents of that child. And I think a number of people have seen these stories and then have had stories of their own, whether it's a brother with cancer or a mother with Alzheimer's. And they now have the courage to say, maybe this could be a solve for my issue. And the more people that buy in and the more people that have the experience, that's why today 95% of the country believe in medical cannabis. Right. About, yet it's still a Schedule One drug. Right. Well, about 60% believe in it as a recreational and it, that it should be legal, right? That's, there's a chasm there. There's 30%, right? There is. But I think that the 60-plus percent are believers in choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. I've got a beautiful wife. You can make a choice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be partners with everyone, anyone you like. And I think it really, it runs, um, I think it, 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 it's where we need to be in this day and age. Well, you said something before. You said being right. What's right about what you've done? Well, I think we, we bet early on the space that more and more people would discover what we discovered in 2011. Which is? The medicinal value of this plant can put an end to the opiate crisis, can provide children and parents with epilepsy with less seizures. You really believe that? Uh, not, not the epilepsy part, because that's been proven, but the opioid crisis. Do you believe that? I believe it with everything I have. I am the biggest advocate for supplementing pain management protocols with cannabis versus opiates. Because? Because opiates can kill you and cannabis can't. And we believe that cannabis is much more effective than opiates as it relates to pain management. To those who say it's a slippery slope and to those who say this stuff is addictive, Mm -hmm. you say. I'm addicted to working out, okay? I'm addicted to a number of things. Um, It's proven not to be as addictive as alcohol. It's surely proven not to be addictive as opiates. But let's just say there's no medicinal value for cannabis. And let's say that someone has has the opportunity to choose between opiates and cannabis. Here's the very good news. If someone ingests too much cannabis, they're not going to die from it. You see, the problem with opiates is people take opiates and maybe aren't feeling the effect and they take one more and that's it. It's over. So it's this, not a slippery slope with opiates, it's a cliff effect. And, and, and you, you don't, what you, if you take too much cannabis, you don't get sick? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, or? You, you certainly have maybe a bit of a confidence problem for a couple of hours, okay? <laughs> but in fact... You're not going to overdose to the extent that you're going to die from it, right? Your lungs aren't going to shut down and your heart's not going to stop from cannabis. And in 3,000 years, no one's ever clinically overdosed from cannabis. You see, it's still a schedule. Do you know that to be so? That is a fact. Okay. And the fact is that cannabis is still a Schedule I drug. And with a Schedule I drug, 
you can't do studies on cannabis because it's federally illegal. And so that's why we only can share these anecdotal stories, but here's the better news. We're partners with an organization outside of the United States that has more than 20 clinical trials happening outside of the US. And that to us can benefit us as it relates to all of the knowledge that we can now bring to the US. But the FDA and those around it will say, look, that's anecdotal until we verify it mm. ourselves. And so, you know, it's, not, it's great that it's, it works with seizures, but we don't know that it works with anything else. That, that's, that's what the federal government will tell you at this point in time. Get two people in a room and it gets political. And you have the struggle between the FDA and the DEA and the ATF, and everyone's looking to grab their piece of right. um, maybe this space. But I would challenge the FDA to enable people in the U.S. to do clinical trials and not have, there are some trials taking place today in California where they allow the cannabis to be imported from Canada to be tested here in the U.S. But unfortunately, when you get into uh, government and regulation, things start to slow down and people don't have the opportunity to benefit from it because it's, quote, not FDA approved. And that's why we're fighting very hard for the States Act. And the States Act is simply a bill that passes into law that enables the states to govern themselves with no federal intervention. And this would be a federal law, as it turns out. It would be, right. and it would make it federally permissible in the United States, in the states where it's legal. 33 states where it's medical, and 11 states where it's recreational. Mm -hmm. And to us, that's enough to give us the bandwidth and the, the, the working space to really bring this forward, the one extra step, and have people now learn that clinically, this is a tremendous substitute for so many different ailments. Where does that stand? Are the, have the votes been counted in the Senate and the House? Where, how close are you to that? Right now, um, we believe we have all the votes we need in the House. Um, there's a number of um, um, folks that we need to transition um, in the Senate. It's not as though they've said no. It's they haven't said anything yet. And it's our job to really manage ourselves as we go forward and almost in some degree self-regulate ourselves so we can prove that this isn't um, the scary you know, drug of yesteryear. And if you think about it, if I'm a conservative Republican and I'm really a naysayer on cannabis, but I'm a defender of the Constitution and believe in the Tenth Amendment, then yes, let's leave it to the states. This is not a by, you know, in many respects, cannabis is probably the only bipartisan um, issue we have in Washington. Everything else is a food fight. So for a lot of people, like myself, we looked up one day and we saw John Boehner, of all people, mm. touting the, the wonders of this, of this CBD. Mm. John Boehner. He's on your board. He He's is your guy. And we're, we're, we're proud to, um, to, to, to have uh, John a part of our organization. I mean, that's huge. Um, it that is a game for us. changer for you, yes? 
not only is it a game changer for us, but it's a game changer for the industry. Here's a gentleman that represented the people of this country. As the Speaker of the House, you're the, you're the people's elect. And if you think about where he stood many years ago, it was really his lack of knowledge of cannabis itself. And oh, he so, was deeply opposed to it. He was deeply opposed to it. But the one thing I will say about Speaker Boehner, uh, which is I'm so proud of, you know, everyone is given a choice every day and they can, um, they can be afforded the opportunity. And he had the courage to change his mind. And there's nothing wrong with that. As we mature and as we think through different issues, when John Boehner discovered the uh, medicinal values of the plant, and when he discovered that 95% of the people of this country believe in the medicinal value of cannabis, he represented the people. So in his mind, I had no choice but to rethink it and to ultimately learn more about it. And I think knowledge is power. The more you learn about the space, the more you have an appreciation for the space. And that really was, had taken place for me in 2011, mm-hmm. had taken place for John you know, later. Um, we also have Governor Bill Weld on our board, who was an advocate for the legalization of cannabis for the last 20 years. He's out of Massachusetts. Out of Massachusetts. Happens to be running for president he right now. He happens to be uh, running for president as well. In the Republican Party. I In guess. the Republican Party. But right. I think what makes him so unique as well is before he was the governor, he was one of the top law enforcement agents at the DOJ. And here is a gentleman who, a top law enforcement agent at the DOJ, saying, I think cannabis should be legal. And because I think he understands that this failed failed war on drugs used historically to discriminate against minorities. It's unjust and it shouldn't happen. White people and black people use cannabis around the same amount, same ratio, yet four times the number of minorities are incarcerated for possession of small amounts of cannabis. How does that work? Exactly. And we want to change that. And it's about education. So it's as much about the medicinal value of it for us. It's as much about the economic benefits that we can bring our shareholders as it is about the social aspects of it. There's too many communities that have been harmed by cannabis because of incarceration for small amounts of cannabis. We believe and we're striving to have those records expunged and those people getting a second chance at you know, mortgages and jobs. And our view is, um, as we have grown our business as entrepreneurs, we've been focused on our business. Now we have a multi-billion dollar balance sheet. We have a chance to now have an impact and go back and say, let's rededicate ourselves to the medicinal and the social aspect of this space and really be the thought leader. Because it's not only, it's, it's our responsibility. We've been given the very, very, um, we've been very, very fortunate to be in a position that we're in. And, and with that um, good fortune also comes with a massive responsibility to be a big giver uh, back to society. You know, I love to say the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but you better have a lot of money to give or you can spend yourself into poverty. <laughs> we have it now. Yeah. I think Jay-Z said, how can I be... How can I help the poor if I'm one of them? You like that line? 
I love it. That's pretty good. I love it. Um, let's talk about the revenues, the tax revenues from cannabis. State of Colorado, they're doing real well. They are. They've collected a billion dollars in tax revenues over the last five years. They have. California, not so much. Mm -hmm. They've struggled. They've dealt with the underground market alongside the legal market. Sure. So it's not like a slam dunk for the states. That there's something to reconcile there. Mm, is there, there not? Is. There's no question about it. Um, there are some states that do it better than others. Colorado does it very, very well. I think Nevada does it very, very well. I think other states have unfortunately fallen short. Washington, I think, has a glut. Or I'm sorry, Oregon. Oregon has a glut of Oregon marijuana. They've got a, too much. They, they being do. Produced. I think it's um, and, 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 a, and a big part of that is because. Um, it's very, very easily grown outside in Oregon. It's, it's prime, frankly, growing uh, conditions. But I think that each state has to not only take responsibility for regulating cannabis, but also they have to have the, uh, uh, the, the extra responsibility of enforcing people that grow cannabis illegally. And I'm not here to say that we're against home growing or um, we're against um, people's um, broad use of the, of the plant, but each state has to understand that some people have to pay taxes and some people don't. And if I've been growing cannabis for 30 years in California and I have the opportunity to now be a legitimate regulated grower, I have that opportunity. But why would I take that opportunity if I haven't paid taxes for the last 30 years? Right. It's you know, it, it, it improves your bottom line if you're not paying taxes. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And so I think it's really on the shoulders of each state to say, not only do we want to have a robust cannabis program, but we also want to um, oversee it to the extent that we can collect our due on taxes. You mentioned some big names. So Speaker Boehner, Governor Weld, Prime Minister Mulroney out of yes. Canada is on your board as well. He is. Right? He's brought a lot to the table. He has brought a lot to the table. Um, Canada was the first G7 country to legalize cannabis for adult use. Right. Um, Prime Minister Mulroney, again, many years ago, um, was opposed to the legalization of cannabis. Um, Today, Brian is 80 years old. He's had a change of, of, of view. I think he's um, basically, he understands what the people want and the people need. Um, but he's not only uh, was a beloved prime minister in Canada, but he also has tremendous um, uh, following worldwide. And for us, um, he was a great um, offset to Speaker Boehner and Governor Weld, um, and we also have very prominent business folks on our board as well. Uh, Bill Von Fossen was the chairman for Blue Cross Blue Shield, and Larissa Herta, chairperson for Time Warner Media, um, and um, Doug Main was the CFO of IBM. Legitimate business leaders saying, you know, I'd like to lend my name, my expertise to creating a robust business where they know, like we know, um, we can help so many people with the plant itself. And you, you say robust. Some of the figures I read, I mean, it, it, uh, Speaker Boehner could stand and make $20 million out of this thing. Is that is that a real number? Well, you know. A real or not, but there's a good, there's a good payoff to this thing. You know, we, there's a not, payoff. Let's not but, fool but, ourselves. But let's be very, very, very clear. Um, 
it's very, very easy to look back in hindsight to say what someone's worth today when it wasn't worth that a long you know, time ago. And it wasn't worth that, you know, maybe 18 months ago when he decided to join us. Right. So his involvement not only elevated our profile and, frankly, our market cap, but the market cap for everyone else in the cannabis space. And so, yes, it is the fastest growing industry in the United States. And yes, we have been very fortunate to be the number one player in the United States with the largest footprint. And so, you know, I said, you know, someone could say the same thing about, um, you know, Google or Facebook. Geez, you know, I was the fourth employee, lucky me, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, 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 I'm grateful for his participation and thrilled that he was able to do as well as he has financially. But all of our investors, we have we had 400 investors privately going into our public offering that have made some millions of dollars, some tens of millions of dollars. And you know, certainly that's something we're very proud of. There's no greater privilege than to have someone believe in you and your vision and make a lot of money. Keep the investors happy, right? Exactly. Um, big companies, what does it say that, I, I read that Coke, Pepsi, Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> Big names getting into the cannabis game. What does it say? It says that it's a massive opportunity. It says that it's a opportunity today that's estimated globally to be $350, $400 billion, growing to a uh, trillion dollars over the next several years. All this suggests a sense of inevitability, right? Inevitability. It's, it's a matter when. of, it's just, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But you still see states like New Jersey, New York, kind of backing off. They get real close, and then they back off. Well, and then they I take think, the summer recess, and then they rethink. What, what does that say? People aren't, well, aren't fully in. What it says is each state is individually different, okay? You've mentioned New York. You've mentioned New Jersey. I think the gating issue for both those states was really um, each state couldn't get comfortable with the social aspect of um, – the laws passing to adult use. I think the General Assembly of both states wanted to see more on the social front, um, more expungement of records, um, wanted to see it weaved into the overall bill, which they would vote and make it law, state law. Um, I think that um, it's only a matter of time where we can bring everyone together and have a happy medium where everyone's happy with the uh, bill being passed. So again, in those two states, look to 2020 and they will be recreational with everyone else. You think so? I know so. You were saying 19 last I heard. Well, I was, but I'll tell you, we came very, very, very close by a count of two or three votes. Let's now look to the fifth largest state in the United States, Illinois. Let's look at that experiment and see how well they do with the program. And when all of these states see tax dollars being collected and programs being run well, they'll then want to follow suit because New York's not going to stand by and watch Massachusetts legalize, Connecticut legalize, and miss ultimately the and miss the opportunity. Right. The most prolific black market cannabis market in the world is New York City mm. by a mile and a half. Right. Let's collect tax dollars, let's lower the taxes, and let's better the schools and the education system. To the people who just can't get past the morality of it, 
or the notion that the driver in the next car is high and they can't stop him and measure him the way they can measure you for drinking a beer. Mm -hmm. To people who are having that difficulty, what do you say? Have a more open mind. But that stuff, that if it kills a family, that's not okay, right? Well, more families, I will promise you, have been killed by drunk drivers. And in the end, give people a choice. You know, I can enjoy a state program from a medical standpoint, but a veteran can't. 23 million veterans have chosen to risk their lives for this country. They choose cannabis, they're gonna lose their veteran rights. We have a veteran, works for us. And when West Point found out he was working for us, they took away his pension. Just like that. Just like that. And that veteran chose to risk his life for this country. But he can't choose his employer and he can't choose his medicine without losing his pension. And so 130 people die every day from overdose of opiates. How many people die every year from too much alcohol? How much spousal abuse can we mitigate with less drinking in this country than more drinking in this country? And the fact that clinically no one's ever been killed with cannabis, why not give someone a choice to utilize cannabis as opposed to opiates, as opposed to alcohol, period, end of story. And you're not even making the case of guns. Guns are legal too. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. But the notion that we're adding another lane here where people can be, you know, altered, they can be in an altered state and do things, right? That, that's, that's the real argument, that a real concern. Yeah. So what do you do about that? How do you I address think, that? I think most of society walks around in an altered state. <laughs> you know, Maurice, let me tell you, you know, it's, it's easy. You know, from my vantage point, it all boils down to responsibility, right? Know your limits. And when we, when someone comes into our dispensary in Queens, when someone comes into our dispensary in Massachusetts, we educate that person. Many of the people that walk into our dispensary for the first time, you know, maybe had used cannabis 25, 30 years ago, maybe never at all, and we, you know, educate them on start slow, don't over-medicate, understand your limits, don't use cannabis and drive, don't use cannabis and, and, and you know, uh, and use heavy machinery, right? I, you know, we run a, a, a wonderful organization with over 500 employees. No one shows up high. And you know, no, no one shows up drunk either. We don't allow it. It's not, it's, it's you know, so, so let's rethink how we view the world as it relates to cannabis. And, you know, from our vantage point, again, it's down to choice. You've been at this for a decade now. Let's go a decade out. A decade out from now, what are we going to look I'm like? We're going to look back and say, hold on, cannabis was illegal at one point? <laughs> you know, the greatest voting population right now in the United States is the millennials. Largest. Largest. And, and they don't even think it's an issue. Right. You know, they kind of throw it in there with gay rights. It's just like, huh? Like, 
that's that used to be a real issue and you know i think it's really from our vantage point there's nothing more joyful than to be in an enterprise that we can be super profitable for our our, our shareholders but also we believe we wake up every day believing we're going to improve the world one day at a time one person at a time and for us there's no greater privilege and you know we love hiring um, veterans we love hiring people that have been disadvantaged by cannabis that's what drives us to want to be what we are today and um, yes I was the founder of this organization yes I was the only money in it for three years but guess what this thing acreage holdings has nothing to do with Kevin Murphy anymore it has everything to do with all of the people around this it has everything to do with John Boehner uh, Governor Weld, Larissa Herta, and, 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 and the 500 employees, it's going to about 1,000 employees over the next two or three years. You know what? Um, I forgot one thing. The deal with the, the Canadian company. Canopy. Canopy. That's a unique kind of thing. There's an it's agreement. very unique. Describe how that works. Canopy sort of bought you, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's not really done until it's legal here. Correct. How does that work? Well... Um, if you look back in uh, just, just finance and M&A, it's a deal that's really never been done in all businesses. Um, think of it this way. Um, Canopy has agreed to buy us today at a certain ratio of their stock to our stock. For that privilege, they've paid the shareholders, not the company, but the shareholders $300 million for that privilege to buy it some date in the future, undefined, um, and the only definition is that it's federally permissible in the United States when they can move in and purchase our company. So it could be six months from now, could be six years from now, no one really knows. We will operate independently as acreage, they will operate independently as canopy, and when it's federally permissible in the United States, which we believe will be sooner than later, We'll be able to come together as one to be the global leader in cannabis. They're the largest in Canada and beyond. We're the largest in the United States. And to us, we believe it will be a, a happy marriage between the two of us. Inevitable is what I hear you saying. Oh, it's again, it's just a matter of time. It's inevitable. And uh, I'm thrilled to be shepherding our side of the the equation in the U.S. until that time comes. All right. Thank you, Kevin. What a pleasure. Great I stuff. really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Likewise. Thank you.